The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And if that's true for you this morning, everyone say amen. Amen. I'm having a wonderful morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. I'm having a good morning except for the fact that my sisters are here. If they, church, if they say anything about me, they are lying. They are are the worst kind of sinners. I mean, they're just... They're terrible, so you just have to be careful of that. If you have a Bible, and I certainly hope that you do, whether it's a hard copy or an electronic copy, go to Matthew chapter 14. I'll give us a moment to get there. Matthew chapter 14. Welcome to those of you that are joining us by podcast or YouTube, all those ways that Travis has made available to those of you that are joining us. We're thankful for you being here with us in that way, and we're thankful for Travis making that possible. Matthew chapter 14, we're in part four of a five-part series titled Fisherman to Apostle. In just a couple weeks, church, we're going to be in the book of 1 Peter, which I'm very excited about, but until we get there, we've been looking at the life of Peter and his relationship with Jesus, and we want to read the book of 1 Peter for what it really is, is Peter, a man who used to be a fisherman. That was his profession. It's what he did. And was just radically changed because of Jesus. And the passion and zeal that he had in his heart for the Lord and what he did is just so incredible. But also the great, gracious, merciful compassion that Jesus has for sinners is highlighted in Peter's life as well. So, Matthew chapter 14. Uh, if you would, let's just pray and ask the Lord to help us this morning. Father, you're a good God. And it would be enough, Father, every time if we were to gather and if if we were to only lift high your name and to, to see your word for what it really is and to see who it is that your word tells us that you are, to see that in truth and in reality and for our minds never to build an idolatrous image of, of who it is we think you are, but to see for truth who it is that you are and how you love us and what it is that you've done to redeem a sinful people. In Jesus' name. And all the church says, Amen. I'm told of a story years ago in the Soviet Union. Supposedly there was this particular place that was struggling with theft. Particularly theft from areas of employment. Factories, different places where people would work. It was an issue, becoming an issue that the employees were were stealing from their places of employment. And so what the authorities did in the Soviet Union to fix this problem in this particular area was set up guards in front of each factory and in large places of employment where there were many places there where they were fearing that they were losing many goods and services and 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 money even from their employees that were stealing from them so this guard is set in front of this particular wood factory this wood shop big wood mill factory and about five o'clock when it's about quitting time he sees a man walking out of the building with a wheelbarrow and a big bag and he goes over the guard goes over to this this gentleman walking out with the wheelbarrow with this big bag and he says sir i know you're stealing something 
you take whatever's in that bag and dump it out on the ground. I want to see what it is that you've been trying to smuggle out of this place. So the, the man, he obeys, and he takes the bag out, and he dumps it out, and it was just wood chips and sawdust. That's all it is. And, uh, and the, the guard was a little bit puzzled by this. He said, why in the world would this man just be walking out? I mean, wood chips and sawdust. This place burns and just b- throws this stuff away. Like, why would he be carrying a bag full of wood chips and sawdust out? But he said, whatever. So he lets the man put the wood chips and sawdust back in the bag, put it in the wheelbarrow, and goes on his merry way. And uh, this happened for five days in a row. And the guard was just getting a little bit more irritated with each time that this man would go out. And he would even, the following days, he would make him pour out all these wood chips and sawdust. And same thing, nothing was in there, just a bag of wood chips and sawdust. And on the fifth day, the guard got so irritated, he said, unless you tell me, I know you're doing something. You're not just, there's, th- this place gets rid of thousands of tons of wood chips and sawdust every year, and you want to take a bag home. I know you're stealing something. Unless you tell me exactly what it is that you're stealing, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to arrest you, and I'm going to throw you in prison unless you tell me exactly what it is that you're smuggling out of this place. And the employee, with a bit of a sheepish grin, he said, I've been stealing wheelbarrows. <laughs> wheelbarrows, sir, wheelbarrows. I want to talk to you this morning about uncanny distractions. When the devil comes against your life in any facet of your life, very rarely does it happen in the form of a man in a red jumpsuit with bloodshot eyes, devil horns, and a pitchfork. It usually comes in a roundabout way, a distracting way, using natural methods, other things, coming in the form of a slithering snake, an unexpected way of getting at your life. And in Matthew chapter 14, we see that this is true for Peter and the other disciples. So if you're in Matthew chapter 14, I invite you now to look at verse 22 and following. And just to let you know, we're picking up immediately following the feeding of the 5,000, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Matthew chapter 14, look to verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me! And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him, and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they had got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. If you love God's Word, I want everyone to say Amen. I have to wonder, as I read this, and my heart is considering what's happening in this story, I have to wonder, 
when Peter is in this boat and Jesus sends them on to the other side of this body of water while Jesus goes to dismiss the crowds that they had just got done feeding with the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, I have to wonder what Peter was thinking as he's sitting in that boat and he's going away from the beach and Jesus has turned around walking back to do, go do more ministry of dismissing these people. I wonder what Peter was thinking. I have to imagine that he was probably thinking about all the things that he had learned thus far about Jesus. And he's probably thinking perhaps something of Jesus' power and His majesty and His glory and His might. And maybe he even perhaps was sitting in the back of the boat looking at Jesus the Messiah, looking at the Son of God, His Master and His Savior. And he's realizing Jesus is so powerful, yet He sends us to go across to the other side while He goes back to do more work. He was doing the work of the ministry. He was going back to dismiss all these people. So he's sitting there seeing his God and his Savior do the work of the ministry, doing the work of of dismissing all these people. And he also knows that he's getting ready to go to this mountain by himself to pray. And he's thinking, man, he's so powerful. He's the Son of God, yet he still seeks a quiet place of solitude to pray. Perhaps those were the things that Peter was thinking. But we know for certain, if you look now to verse 24, of the scripture text that we just read. Here are the things that we know happened. It says, But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Verse 25. Now in the fourth watch of the night, this would have been about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. approximately, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now, if you were in the disciples' shoes, or sandals as it were, Here's the things that we know of the situation they're in, and I invite you to mentally imagine yourself in this situation. We know for certain that it was dark. It was between 3 and 6 a.m., pitch black. We know that it was windy, and because of the wind, there were many waves that was tossing this boat back and forth. We know that to be true. We can probably make the accurate assumption, even though it doesn't tell us explicitly that it was raining, we can probably make the assumption that it was probably raining too. It was stormy. There were wind, there were waves, it was dark. It was probably just a storm out over this body of water. And if you were in that situation, the reality is to think of pitch black wind stormy skies no moon no stars no peripheral light that you can see anything it's black all around you can't navigate in this boat because they don't see the stars to know which direction to go they can't see anything they can't even see each other it's no light whatsoever if you've ever been to a cave and the person leading you in the cave will sometimes click their light off and they'll say okay now wave your hand in front of your face and you can't see anything This is very likely the type of condition that the disciples are in in this boat. And this this would be scary. Jesus had sent them to the other side. He had sent them in a direction to go a certain way, and they're scared. They're distracted from the place that it is Jesus had sent them. They're confused. They're disoriented. And so much of this, even though it might not mirror our lives in this violent type of on a boat in the middle of a water type setting, but so much of the feeling that they felt in being scared, distracted, can't see, unsure of the direction, disoriented from where they're going in the direction that God had sent them to go, this mirror images so much of what we experience in life. 
Trouble in school, our destination is to get a degree and, and, or to finish high school and, and, and we, get, we get distracted by all kinds of things, whether it's academic problems or problems with friends, financial troubles that we experience in life, problems with our marriage. Our destination is to have a good, fruitful marriage, but we have troubles in our marriages, troubles with our kids. Undoubtedly, any of us would love for our kids to be in church and in fellowship with God's people and in fellowship with God, but, but sometimes people's children don't do that and, and that's, it causes this... It, we had this destination in mind of where Jesus was sending us of what we know that God has called us to do and what we know is good and right and go to the other side of the water just like Jesus told the disciples but we get scared we get distracted we get disoriented it feels as if as if we're in a boat and it's dark and it's windy and it's scary and I don't want to make any bones about this John 10 10 says the thief everyone say the thief who is the thief Tell me. Tell me louder. Satan. It's the devil. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. That is his mission. That is his goal. And he would love it if you and I in our lives in all these facets where we can be confused, distracted, and scared, He would love for us to remain in that place. And it's undoubtedly true that the devil would have loved the disciples to stay in this confused state, not able to fulfill what it was that Jesus had called them to do. And it's interesting, if you were to continue on in the Scriptures after what we'll cover today, they get to this certain place where these men realize that it's Jesus and the disciples and they go back into the city and they bring multitudes of people and Jesus heals tons of people. And just to let you know, church, this is the pattern of how the devil commonly works. He commonly attacks before God does a great, great work. And here's what I mean. Before Jesus started his earthly ministry, undoubtedly a great work of God, he was tempted in the wilderness. Before Jesus rose out of the grave victorious over death, the crucifixion took place. Before Job's great gain in life took place, he lost everything. Before Joseph was raised to power to rule and to reign at the right hand of Pharaoh over all the known world at the time, he was put in a tomb-like prison. So church, my encouragement to you this morning is that if you feel like you're in a boat, you feel in this confused, distracted way, you feel that just perhaps the devil is attacking your life in these different ways, I encourage you to hold on because God could be getting ready to do something wonderful in your life. And here's the hard part about this. Here's the part where it requires faith for us. Is there's literally a million different ways that Jesus could prohibit the issues that we face. In the case of the disciples... He could have told the disciples, stay here on the beach and camp until you see the storm pass, then go across. He could have said, help me dismiss this 5,000 people that we just got done feeding, and then we can all go over together so that you don't get hit by this storm. Jesus could have said, you need to get in the boat, but you need to go this way around the storm. Jesus could have stopped the storm from coming altogether. There were a million different things that Jesus could have done to stop these issues, this, these, this distracted, scary situation that they're in. And certainly, there's a million different ways that Jesus could fix our lives as well. If we suffer financial trouble, he could certainly have some great uncle so-and-so come out of the woodwork and leave us an inheritance of a bajillion dollars. That would be pretty cool. Jesus could do that. It would be no strain of his power to do that. He could fix our problem, problems at school and academics and our marriage with the relationship with our kids. There's nothing that he couldn't just speak and it be done. That wouldn't be no strain of his total, complete 
power. But Jesus chooses to come to the disciples in their hour of need, walking on the sea. You want to know the theological reason as to why he did that? Here's my best answer. I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea exactly why he chose to walk on the sea. But what it tells this simple man, Ben Sweeterman, a simple man, what it tells me at the very least is that the things that cause us distractions, the distractions that cause us fear, the things that change... It may seem silly to others, but things that impact us, the thing that makes your stomach feel bad, the things that impact you and your health and and how you live life, those things, the very things, the very waves that were causing these disciples so much havoc, Jesus can walk on. The very things that distract us, that cause us fear, Jesus can walk on. He's, he's not hindered by it. Remember, church, that when something reaches your life, regard, whatever struggle it is that you have, it is not as if something has slipped through his fingers and it has accidentally reached your life. That has never happened. He is totally sovereign. He is totally in control. He knows all things. He is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He, he understands all of these things. And he is so different than we are because if one of us, you or me, we're, we're, we're Jesus up on that mountain. We were in his situation. We've been praying to the Father. We come down the mountain and it's, it's time to go to the disciples. If it were you or me, we'd see this huge storm blowing in and we could look out knowing that the disciples were in the middle of this body of water being tossed about by these waves and we would have nothing to be able to do. We'd be like, oh my gosh, there, I'm on the shoreline. They're in the water. They're dead. <laughs> I mean, that's, that we, don't, we can't do anything. This, we worry, we panic, we, we wouldn't know what to do. Just make no mistake, church, that when Jesus stood on that shoreline, He didn't wring His hands and thought, oh gosh, they're goners now. He has never said that. Jesus is so, God is so different than the way that you and I are. We, we, our hearts are fickle and we worry and we panic and we stress about everything. If, if I'm going to read 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. Write the, this, that scripture down. Mark that to read later. I'm going to read this verse to you. And if you didn't come for anything other than to hear me read this verse, you'd have gotten your money's worth today. 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness. I don't even know what the greatness is. Like if greatness was a dog, it would belong to God. I don't even know what that means. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalt- exalted as head over all. Somebody say amen to that. My goodness. God is a good God. He is a powerful God. The very things that cause us stress and worry, He can walk on. And it is no stretch of His power. He comes walking on the very things that cause us distraction and fear and confusion. Look now to verse 26 of our text, if you would. And when the disciples saw Him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. 
I love Jesus, don't you? Verse 28, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, everyone shout the word wind. When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? The thing to remember here, church, is that the disciples were either fishermen they were either were fishermen themselves, grew up in a fishing community, or at the very least were very used to traveling by boat. And notice what it was for Peter, the thing that caused him to, to hit, for his eyes to be distracted from the, his transfixed look on Jesus. The, the very thing that caused him to start to drift was the wind. Peter's a fisherman. You don't think he's seen the wind before? He made his livelihood catching fish in a boat. This was not his first rodeo. He has seen the wind from the perspective of a boat before. Hundreds of times, thousands of times, he has seen the wind. And it was just the wind. It'd be like Rick getting scared to death of a diesel engine. It'd be like Scott losing his sanctification over a dairy cow. It'd be like Brianna getting scared to death from a musical note. It'd be like Shayla not knowing what to do when she sees a pharmacy pill bottle. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying here, church, is that normal circumstances, normal occurrences can distract us from Jesus. Just normal things. It was just the wind. It was all that caused Peter to fear and to start sinking. And we know this principle to be, principle to be true. Jesus taught this in Luke chapter 14. He told a parable of a man, it's a story that he was, he was going in this long list of stories telling, saying this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And what he's saying was, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who had this huge supper prepared. And when it was ready, he sent out all the servants to tell those who were invited, it's time to come and partake of this supper. And all the people that were invited started making excuses. You want to know what the excuses were that caused them to, to not be at the marriage supper of the Lamb with Jesus? One guy says, I've, I bought some land, I bought some real estate, and I need to go check out the real estate, so, so let me be excused. Next guy says, I've bought five yoke of oxen, I, I need to go test this five yoke of oxen in my field and, and test them out to see how it goes. Next person says, oh, I've, I've been I just got married, so I, I, need to, I, need to, I need to attend to my marriage, I can't come, let me be excused because of that. These are just normal things. In our world today, that would be real estate, cars, and relationships, or the lack thereof. Those just simple things, things that are all around us all the time. Simple things that cause these people to miss their, their vision and their focus on Jesus. For Peter, it was the wind. In the parable of Luke 14, it was real estate, five yoke of oxen, and getting in a marriage relationship. What is it for us? Maybe it's climbing the corporate ladder. It causes us to, to miss Jesus and having our eyes fixed on Him. Raising kids that are busy in sports or a job loss that maybe even you expected. 
friendships that you're having struggles with, relationships, whether they're romantic or not, or the lack thereof of those things that can cause us simple, but paying bills, working, the busyness of a lifestyle that we have. Maybe it could be the simple things that the devil would use in a roundabout way like a serpent slithering through a garden. That sounds familiar. That could cause us to lose our fixation of our eyes being on Jesus. Normal occurrences can distract us from Jesus. But I love Peter's reaction. Even though Peter's a fisherman, and it was just the wind, he really shouldn't have lost all of his vision in walking on water to Jesus. He probably shouldn't have lost all of those things because of the wind, especially with him being a fisherman. But, but even though he's sinking like that, his reaction, what he says, what he cries out to Jesus, what he cries out to God for, it is the textbook perfect reaction for you and I to have today. The three words that he says is, Lord, save me. I want us all to say those three words together. Ready, set, go. Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand and he saves him. And isn't it wonderful, church? I was talking with somebody in our church this week on the phone, and we were just we were marveling at how wonderful it is that the God that we serve is not just the Jesus who has our souls kept secure in salvation in eternity because we've come to Him repentant and turning from our ways and we come to Him repentantly. It's not just that He has our eternal salvation taken care of for us because of His sacrifice and His blood, but He's a God that cares about the small stuff. Psalm 103 verse 14 says, For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are of dust. I love that. I love that about our God and our King. That He knows that about us. Not that that's an excuse for us not to be diligently focusing on Him and striving to be with Him. But what a good and gracious God that we serve that He remembers that we're made of dust. Look to verse now 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came and worshipped Him, saying, Truly, You are the Son of God. As the disciples were in the boat, the storm was raging. As Jesus was walking to the disciples in the storm, the storm was still going. As the disciples are afraid, thinking Jesus is a ghost, the storm was still going. As, as Jesus explains that he, it's, it's me, it's I, do not be afraid. And as Peter is communicating back and forth, Peter on the boat and Jesus standing on the water and they're having this interaction, the storm is still going as Peter's walking and sinking and Jesus saving him. All the while, the storm was still going. The storm was still going even while him together holding Peter up in this water and they're walking back to the boat. The storm was still going, but for Peter, the only thing that mattered was whose arms he was in, who he was walking towards and whose eyes his eyes were fixated on it's so interesting that he was the only disciple that said lord if it's you command that i come to you none of the other disciples did they just they stood in the boat the only thing that mattered to peter was was being with jesus so what i want to tell you this morning church is to seek jesus in every distraction the waves were still going. It was still dark. The wind was still boisterous. All those things were still happening in Peter's life when, when he was seeking Jesus. 
So are you overwhelmed with school? Seek Jesus. Are you overwhelmed in the workplace? Seek Jesus. Are you distracted by relationships or the lack thereof? Seek Jesus. Are you worried about your marriage and its condition? Seek Jesus. Are you concerned about America's political condition? Lord Jesus, help us. Seek Jesus. Are you burdened about all the aborted babies that never had a chance at life? Seek Jesus. Are you worried about all the hot-button topics that are in our culture and in our world today? Climate change, racism, homosexuality, and the war on Christianity. Seek Jesus in all of those things. Are you fearful about what will happen to your job? Seek Jesus. Are you hurt by the division of our country as it currently stands? Seek Jesus in that. Are you saddened by the number of people in our world in Johnstown and in Utica and the people that are our neighbors who have really no interest about spiritual things? Seek Jesus in every distraction. There was a couple grandparents who were keeping their young granddaughter for the weekend and uh, the grandpa and, and the granddaughter decided to go out and work in the yard. So Grandpa picks up the granddaughter to go outside, sets her down in the yard, and she's playing, and he is busying himself in the flower beds. And Grandma comes out a few minutes later to check on both of them, and, and the little dog, the little, it's one of them little ankle-biter dogs, just runs out and just starts, is not used to seeing children, and starts terrorizing the poor granddaughter. And, and this dog is running around, and, and the girl, the poor little girl, is hysterical. She thinks she's getting ready to be ripped to shreds by this little ankle-biter, yappy dog. And, and, and this dog is just going, and she's crying. Tears are coming, and the dog's not going to hurt her. The dog's just excited to see somebody that's short and a little kid like that. And the dog's carrying on, making all of its noise, can't really hurt her. But the grandpa, being a good grandpa that he is, he runs out there, and he scoops up his granddaughter. And, and the dog never stops. The dog is still barking, still excited that there's a little kid there. But the girl was hysterical. Now she's, <sighs> she's getting her composure back and she's no longer crying. And she's, she's understanding that the dog is still making all of its noise. It's still carrying on. It's still doing all that it's doing. But she realizes that she's with her grandpa. And she looks down at the dog and up at her grandpa and down at the dog and says, nah, 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 nah. Church, New Covenant Community Church, can I just tell you that even though the storm may continue on in life, the goal, I'm convinced as I mature my faith, I'm seeing that the goal is not to get the storm to quiet, but whose arms you're in change everything. Even if the bark doesn't really have a bite, even though it's just wind and waves and you're a fisherman, even though these are just simple, ordinary, everyday things, relationships, school, work, paying bills, all these things, even though those are simple things, simple distractions that the devil would love to use to dis, disorient us and scare us and distract us in all these ways, those things don't really matter. The thing that matters is whose, whose arms we're in, who we have our eyes on, and who we're walking towards. Brian, would you come and play for us, please? If you would stand together with me, I'd love for us to pray and ask God to help us as we learn to trust Him more and we learn to not let these things impact us and influence us in the way that they do. Let's pray and then we will sing. Father, You're so good and You're so gracious. Father, we, we want to say this morning, thank You that you remember that we're made of dust. 
We want to follow You, Father. We want want to seek after You. We want our eyes to always be fixated on Your face as we walk to You in every storm. But God, when we sink, I pray that You'd help us to have the right reaction to call out to You, trusting that You're a Savior who's told us of Yourself that You remember that we are made of dust. God, help us to realize that the storms of life, they will continue. But if we remember whose arms we're in, it changes everything. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, let's sing together.